Welcome to the Moving Forward podcast. Uh, this is one of your hosts, Corey Cockrell. And uh, of course, we got my very good buddy, Rio Verdenier. Hey, guys. Um, and we have Baby Yoda. All hail, Baby Yoda. Baby Yoda. Did Baby Yoda shrink? No, just sometimes it's closer. And sometimes oh. it's farther away. But sometimes yeah. it's closer. The mic is like disproportionately large relative to Baby Yoda. That's what she said. <laughs> uh <laughs> I don't know. I, I, was I don't think about Yoda that way, man. Uh, <laughs> anyway, that could get horrible very quickly. So uh, today, R- Rio wants to talk about uh, how the sort of um, from well, call, not really from a policy perspective, but kind of like the the way that the traditional ideas, at least modern history, traditional ideas around. Uh, uh, what kind of coalitions are being built in the Republican Democratic parties uh, vis-a-vis being, you know, right or left or being, you know, liberal or, uh, 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 you know, theocratic um, or just ignorant, depending on how you want to spell that last word. Um, You know, it it really, really is interesting, right? And Rio has talked a bunch of times about, yeah, it was like one of the first things he said to me that I was like, wait a minute, what the fuck are you talking about? Is that the alt-right is actually far left. And I was like, okay, now you're just on drugs. But over the last little while, you know, they, they do, uh, you know, if you remove the fact that they're white nationalist racist pieces of shit, um, they actually are for all these very protectionist uh, uh, trade deals and, and isolationism that, that, uh, um, that can really honestly be ascribed to kind of leftist politics as sort of uh, defined in the dictionary. So, you know, I had to, had to come on board that, that particular description. Um, and, and I do have to say right at the top, I fucking hate this shit. I really do. Um, but Rio has also had me come around to every once in a while about one one thousandth of the number of times that we've had this conversation. <laughs> but no, th- th- we, we can come around to the fact that there is actually some value in, in, in looking through these things so that we can understand, I think, and, and plan for, for what's coming. And even, uh, you know, maybe even focus on, on what we want out of it, which is sort of where Rio was actually leading me in the preamble to this discussion because he's not a dumb man he knows knows what's up uh so you know real i i want you to talk about your your description like and everybody kind of senses it right like the the political parties now are like there's a big kind of a big what the fuck moment going on right now um that i think all sorts of people can can understand but it reminds me of you know there was a there was a moment and you see i guess charlie kirk did this heidi briotis actually uh, uh <laughs> responded to this charlie kirk tweet where he was like, Republicans are the ones that freed the slaves, which of course ignores the giant political flip that happened during the Southern strategy in the, in the, uh, the 50s and 60s, where Dixiecrats became Republicans because they just refused to not be racist pieces of shit. But now is, you know, not all Republicans are racist. Well, maybe now, <laughs> but every racist. Eh, eh, eh. Yeah, I mean, if the if the GOP were still the party of Lincoln, then why are there Klan rallies overlapping with Trump's rallies? Yeah, Lincoln right? would have right. shot himself. Why? So why? Saying. Why? Why is the Confederate flag about as uh, about as frequently seen at Trump rallies as the American flag? Right. And, and by the way, you cannot support both of those things. One of them is a symbol of right. treason against the United States. Right. Exactly. Um, you know, so, really funny, just on yeah. the on the Confederate flag thing. Those are the same people on my Facebook feed before they get blocked, which they inevitably do. That always rail against participation trophies, and they also do not understand irony. Just as a thing, 
yeah, that was that's um that's the ultimate participation trophy. Right. Um. Yeah. Okay. Good try. Yeah. And if they had won, they probably wouldn't have allowed us to, you know, fly the American flag because they were. Of course less. not. Yeah. No. Like Lincoln um, was the- nothing if not humble. Um. And his appeals for us to, um, you know, like let bygones be guy bygones, which is he's a better man than I am. <laughs> Because that would not have been my instinct <laughs> when a bunch of people committed treason against the country. But yeah, peace, peace you know. is hard. And honestly, like that—that's actually going to be a thing that that you know, um, I would love to be Zen master enough to be thinking in, in those terms on November fourth, uh, after we beat the tar out of Trump in fifty states. Um, I think that 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 civil rights, Southern strategy, um is actually a really good jumping off point for what I want to try to talk about here, because that was the last big realignment of the parties. Right. right? Yeah. And when the Clintons um, made the, like had the, the, the democratic party really embrace center-right pro-capitalist pro-business policies, when they made the, the democratic party classically liberal um, and, and, um, lean more toward the liberal side of social liberal than the social side of social liberal. When they did that, um, it was a wise strategy at the time because the, the party coalitions had already been transitioning that way for some time. But there's demographic shifts that are related to the electoral college that made it inevitable even if the party leadership hadn't done what they did. And this is also true about Trump. Like Trump is an opportunist. He's not some great political genius. Right. Even Steve Bannon, who is much closer to a political genius than Donald Trump, and albeit an evil one, um, is really just kind of swimming with the current because they're focused on short-term gains instead of the long-term survival of their party. Um, and so, what I would like to to talk about here, well, as far as as far as the as far as the Lincoln thing goes, that's my my personal loyalty is not to a party. My loyalty is to the country first and second to a set of ideals that, and when I say to the country, that includes fundamental values like democracy and the rule of law and the constitution, right? So that's my first loyalty. My second loyalty is to a set of policy ideals that I consider to be right-wing and economically. And I I consider pretty much all social issues to be wedge issues that are uh, divisive and don't really fit on the left-right spectrum. The, the social issues can go, you know, you could, you could go one way or the other on social issues and, and also one way or the other on economic issues. The way that our, party, our party's um, platforms are set up now is more of a, uh, an accident of history than some kind of like natural organic philosophical um, development. Um, so Corey, you're looking at me a little puzzled. So I wanna let you ask a couple questions before I go on. <laughs> Um, no, I just got, I got hung up on the, uh, um, the accent of history thing because I don't actually think mm-hmm. that it is. Okay. Um, that's an interesting, that, so, yeah. If you wouldn't mind, cause like, I don't want this episode to be a lecture. Um, I want it to be a conversation. Well, and, and I, I don't, I, I, please I, ask me I questions to, if something I say doesn't make sense to you. Well, no, I like, and why, why my phrase scrunched up is because then I started processing, okay, well, if it wasn't just a, an accident of history, how did it happen? Cause you're going to see some. Uh, you know, variances in in uh, uh, varying education levels, in how the political divides work uh, between the North and the South, because whatever we feel about it, there are some mm-hmm. some some uh, uh, societal differences there. 
Um, and you know, the way that that's going to interplay with the working class and where those demographics are shifting. Right. You know what I mean? Like yeah. that. So, so the social issues I think are, are, I think we could, we could track their evolution along with how the, 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 just so basically all of, and it was just my own head screwing up the, it's not an accident of history thing, um, which really isn't, very relevant. Well, yeah, I mean, I guess it kind of, I mean, it helps to clarify what I mean by an accident of history. An accident of history doesn't mean that there wasn't some strategy involved, right? Yeah. It means, you know, like, it, it means that the cards were dealt out how they were dealt out, and people in both parties made, in the leadership of both parties, and in the bases of both parties, did what they did, given the hands that they were dealt. That's what I mean, right? Okay, so, like, the fair. Southern strategy was a very conscious choice, but yeah. it was, and it was, but the, I think the reason it, it won is because it was the one that was the most practical strategy to use given the demographic makeup of the country and the way our electoral college works, right? So like yeah. if you were, if you're, so if you're, the, if you've been the party of Lincoln um, and you're suddenly not able to win elections anymore, because the party, the other, because the opposition is taking a lot of your economically conservative voters away, you have to fill that gap somehow in order to maintain power. And the way that they did it was by appealing to social wedge issues. And so that is the reason that we have this combination of economically right wing, this association that all Americans have baked into our understanding of our political spectrum, the way that it's been working in recent memory, is that you have this coalition of economically right-wing um, policy with socially regressive, I wouldn't really call it conservative, regressive policy, which is not a natural philosophical um, pairing with the economic right-wing. So one way of seeing that is to look again at the classic definition of liberalism. And Lincoln was a pretty good champion of classic liberalism. The founders of the United States are good champions of classic liberalism. Are you following me, Corey? Yep. Okay. So I would argue that it's a more natural philosophical um, partnership to have liberal economic policy and liberal social policy, as opposed to liberal economic policy and illiberal social policy, which is what we actually had in the modern Republican Party. Um, yeah, and it's, well, and that's like, has there, has there ever been a time in modern history, like post-World War II, where um, the Democrats did not have li a liberal economic outlook? Well, that's part of what I'm talking about here. And so okay. what's, what's, I just, cause what's, I wanted to make sure yeah. I'm on the same page. Yeah, that's no, they, what I'm asking. They, they do. Yeah. So, right. and be, but because of the fact that both major parties had a liberal economic outlook, which to clarify by which we mean pro-capitalist, right? Um, they, right. They, they are both social liberalism um, in the sense that, um, that it is a partnership with socialism. The Democrat, the Republican Party would not want to admit it, but when their voters are concerned about losing their social security or, you know, like a lot of older voters don't want to raise the retirement age for social security or to lower the payout of social security because they're more concerned about, they just want to make sure they're going to get what they deserve from what they put in, even if it ends up screwing their 
children and grandchildren down in the future, right? And so- wow. that's, the, that's a much longer conversation. That, that is a longer conversation, presume. but I'm just saying social security is not purely liberal, right? It is a social policy that was a compromise with socialism and both mm. parties support it, right? And so you, 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 in context, both parties were kind of center-right on economic policy. And so when you have two parties that are center-right on economic policy, which means that they're still compromising somewhat with the left, otherwise we wouldn't have any kind of a welfare state at all. Um, so they're both compromising somewhat with the left, but they're both center-right. So when you have that situation, the divide between them is going to erupt somewhere, and it erupted over social wedge issues. That's what became yeah. the difference. And yeah, so, I like that. Right, and so the Democratic Party... Um, even when it was in some cases on some issues and um, a little bit left of the Republican Party on, for example, taxes, right? Um, even, even then, they were already taking lots of economic conservatives from the Republican Party, right? And what we normally call a social conservative in the United States is really more of like a, a regressive. I would personally define a social conservative as somebody who supports liberal social policy, which means treating all people equally regardless of the law. That's how reasonable Republicans sound when they're speaking reasonably. But if you look at like what the Republican base wants, they want they they don't want to treat people equally, right? They want um, they oppose same sex marriage, right? That's not treating people equally under the law. That's taking away people's ability to um, express their their constitutional freedoms simply because of their their sex or sexuality or whatever. So. Yep. And, and of course, there are a bunch of racists in there. So that was all a consequence of the Southern strategy. So the Southern strategy was an accident of history in the sense that the Republicans had to do something and they did that, <laughs> if that makes right. sense. It's, yeah. not a natural, it's not a natural philosophical coalition. It's just the one that they wound up with. It's where, it, yeah, it was what they had left. Okay. So, and honestly, that's to, 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 not to jump to the end of the podcast, but that's what I want for the Republican Party. Until they figure out how to be something better, I want the Republican Party to be where all the racist, regressive assholes go, um, regardless of their economic uh, outlook, because it's kind of irrelevant. They usually don't get that right anyway. Yeah, so, um, so the way that, that some conservatives like uh, David Frum and Andrew Sullivan would look at it is they, they actually believe that it's best, for, it's best for democracy when the voters have multiple good choices. And so the idea being that you actually want every party to be as reasonable and evidence-driven as possible, right? Right. Um, and, and so that would be the best possible outcome. Um, so remember when I said, like, my loyalty is to country and a set of ideals that I associate with the country, democracy and rule of law and capitalism, um, the Constitution. Um, but, and my secondary loyalty is to policies that I consider right-wing. That is... Notice that I did not say my secondary loyalty was to a party, right? right? So if, if, the, if the economic conservatives win the war against the alt-right in the Republican Party, then that'll probably remain my party. If, on the other hand, the alt-right has such a stranglehold over it due to demographic changes beyond our control, then economic conservatives will, will, will continue to flee the Republican Party. They'll join the Democratic coalition because they know that third parties are a waste a waste a wasted vote they'll join the democratic coalition and they'll work with the right wingers who are already in the democratic party because they've been shifted they've been moving over there for quite some time right yep. and so it could be that simply due to demographic shifts beyond our control 
which I'm, I'm going to explain in a little detail, it could be that it's just inevitable that the Democratic Party is going to emerge, emerge as um, a fully consolidated liberal party in the sense of being for both liberal economic and liberal social um, policies, right? Yeah. And the Republican Party will be left with everything that's not liberal. Um, and so that would include the alt-right, which as we've been discussing is in many respects left-wing. And it'll all probably also eventually have to include, it would be a more natural coalition. It would, would probably also have to include people who are left of the Democratic Party already right now. Which is so, I mean, it's, this, and I've, I've I seen- I mean, that's only one of two the, possible outcomes. The other one is the Republican right. Party could remain. It depends, on, it depends on who wins this battle or yeah. who wins the war, really. Right now, right now the alt-right is winning the battle. Within the well, Republican this is where I've seen a bunch of, well, George Will, for example, uh, who, you know, I've never agreed with on, like, literally anything, um, mm. you know, came out and basically said that not only does Trump have to lose, he's exactly on your page. He, had, yes. he has to be humiliated. Like, yep. they, like it, they, the entire GOP and every single one of Trump's enablers, which now is everyone left in the Republican Party except maybe Mitt Romney, right? Mm -hmm. um, as far as, like, elected officials or whatever. Yeah. Um, have to be completely and totally destroyed because, um, well, I mean, they're they're not you know, uh, uh, even paying lip service to the kinds of things that they were supposed to for. And they have basically been hollowed out uh, by theocratic white nationalists, which, mm -hmm. you know, is uncomfortable for the rest of the country, but that's where it is. So to have- It's uncomfortable the for left, the- Like, to have, like yeah. somebody calling themselves a socialist, hanging out with a libertarian and Paul Ryan is like, what is even happening here? Yeah, exactly. So like one, one way I would put it is I would say that the party of Lincoln- isn't the one that historically happened to have Lincoln in it. The party of Lincoln is going to be wherever we can build a more perfect union. And right now, the Republican Party under Trump's quote leadership is not struggling mightily to build a more perfect union. Trump is channeling resentment in order to foster disunion. That's what he's doing. He's exactly the opposite of, of, of a leader like Abraham Lincoln. Well, and that's Mattis' statement in a nutshell. Um, you know, yet, yet another person I can't wait to go back to disagreeing with. Uh, but when it comes to, you know, getting rid of a demagogue, like there, there's no room for, for error and misinterpretation like that, you know, there, there's, okay, A, he finally got his wallets built around the White House. Ha ha ha. That's really, really funny. Um, but you know, that's now covered with protest art. It's, oh yeah. <laughs> the entire, the entire wall outside the White House is a giant art installation um and its nickname is the baby gate well the fact that they painted black lives just... matter permanently on on oh. the, like 16th street leading right up to that, the white house is yes that's um that's got to really piss him off the, yeah the mayor of dc <laughs> on on uh, uh facebook i think it i think it actually still might be there my profile picture is a picture of that from space because you can see it. You can see it from space? From oh. space. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> it's huge. It's huge. It's right. so good. Okay. Oh, that, right. that Mary is um, just. Well, you know, they, okay. they renamed, they, they renamed that, uh, that whole street, the street that the White House is on. Oh, that's uh, right. They did. Black Lives yeah, Matter Black Plaza. Lives Matter. Yeah, that's right. I saw that. Yeah. Um, yes, well done. Well done. So, okay. So we've got two possibilities. One possibility is that the never Trump Republicans actually win it, su succeed at taking back the Republican party, party from the alt-right. And the more Trump and Trump's enablers lose, the more likely that is to happen. 
right? And so that's the reason why you'll see organizations like the Lincoln Project or Rep Republicans for the Rule of Law are right. explicitly calling not just for Trump losing, but also for voting out Trump supporting um, Republicans in the primary. Okay. Yeah. And the reason, so, so that really is a battle within the party about whether or not it's going to continue to be the party of Lincoln or if it's going to like, and, and it's, it's been losing that, the, the moral up, um, upper hand there for quite some time, right? But yeah, if, like if Trumpism totally, years. if Trumpism gets reelected, right? then the, it really will just no longer be the party of Lincoln. It just, it doesn't make any sense to say that it is because it's a, once again, like fostering disunion is exactly the opposite. Of I mean, to be, if we're being honest, calling it the party of Lincoln after Nixon was an error, full stop. I think that there have, there, I think that, okay. So remember when I said that Trump was just an opportunist and even Steve Bannon on some level was consciously swimming with the tide right kind of working with what he had to work with mm -hmm. so i think of the two possible outcomes the one where the alt-right wins and the never trumpers have no choice but to switch to the, the democratic party is go is going to be the one that ends up happening like i don't know whether or not that's going to happen in november right that's pretty mm -hmm. fast but if trump gets reelected, um i think it's inevitable that it will happen if he doesn't get reelected. Then you know the 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 fight within the Republican Party will go on longer, but in the long term, I still think the alt right will win. So here's that's, why. That's possible. Remember when I was oh yeah so um, demographic changes. Okay, so it used to be during the industrial era that in the middle of the country there were large swaths of land that were cheap and that were perfect for industry, and so a disproportionate amount of productivity. In the, in the US economy was actually centered there. And it made sense for a party based there to be a party of enterprise and business and capitalism. But today, and this is just a fact, there are twice as, there is twice, more than twice as much productivity per capita in blue states than in red states. And that's mostly because of the coasts. Whereas transitioning from an industrial economy into an information economy, there is not money to be made on a large scale doing much industrial work in the United States. Automation will make it more cost effective, but those aren't going to be the sort, that's not the sorts of industry that's going to create jobs. The future of capitalism globally, but especially in a first world country, is information. It's going to be high skill information jobs. That's the future. And so it's, if you think about it, as long as the Republican Party is stuck in this trap of, uh, it's like a, a negative feedback loop of appealing to the deindustrializing states in the middle of the country, which are, over, which are disproportionately less educated, didn't matter as much when you could make a good living, you know, working um, in a factory, right? Mm -hmm. but that's, that's, that, that is a past. That is a past. And so what I'm saying is, I think it's inevitable that conservatism, if it's going to survive at all, is going to have to survive by moving into the future. And the future of capitalism is on the coasts, not in the middle of the country. You see what I'm saying? And so like Trump, yeah. Trump, Trump was an opportunist and in a way a symptom, like Yang talks about, of the fact that these demographic shifts are just making it such that, especially when the Democratic Party has already moved right, 
in recent years. It's just inevitable that the future of capitalism and those who value it is going to be in the Democratic Party. I mean, unless somehow all of a sudden everybody starts, you know, everybody starts voting for the opposite party, demographically speaking. Well, then I, I think this is where, you know, the, the because of Andrew Yang's candidacy, and I was actually, I was listening to some, uh, um, some Yang speaks for the first time actually um, today. And it, you know, and we've sort of suggested this or intimated this, you know, uh, it, as far as the Democratic Party being basically where these things get litigated because the Republican Party just, what do you do with them, right? Like, what do you sign them up for right now anyway, right? It's 10 years from now, probably a different story, um, you know, presuming that they're viable in any way. Mm-hmm. Um, but like the, the, the biggest problem I see that keeps leading uh, to things like the, the, the alt-right and leading to, you know, the never Biden, you know, uh, crew that, that is hanging around the fringes of the left is that lack of trust. It's like, exactly. you know, we're not seeing anything real happening for regular humans and you constantly give yourselves money when you're rich. Right. And to be, to be completely fair, like that, this, the, everything that happened during the, the, um, you know, 10, $8 trillion that went out during the pandemic. Like <clears throat> the more I read up on it, if you go back and listen to our episode, what we were actually uh, uh, talking about the, the, the cares act when it came out. Um, and I had some issues with it. I wasn't worried enough. It's way, way worse than I thought it was going to be. And I was fucking livid. Uh, they literally just handed themselves trillions of dollars. It was super, super easy to do. And 30% of small businesses are going to fail because it's almost impossible for small yeah, businesses. They didn't, to, enough, uh, they didn't get enough money to small businesses. I agree. By, by like an order of magnitude, by 10 plus right. times. Right? But, but and and to actual to be, humans, right. they gave like, here's, here's some crumbs you dummies, right? And that, right. that this is where UBI and people who are going to back things like UBI is so critical because, you know, that, that flips the script on that. It's like, no, we actually want to invest in you. We actually want to show you that this is, you know, a government that is, is, is for you and by all of us. Um, cause until then, you know, it, that, that I, I fear that that chasm is yeah. just going to get worse, but so, that still will get litigated within the democratic party to any useful degree. Okay. I, I think I mostly agree with what you're saying. So something to keep in mind is that Okay, so like if you if you have a party that is dependent on, um, you know, the, the poorest, least educated, least productive parts of the country in order to be able to eke out an electoral college victory or in order to maintain its Senate majority, that and I'm talking about the Republican Party here. Yeah. yeah. If you have that, um, then that party is going to tr- is going to transform, and we're seeing it happen right now before our eyes, into a a a working class labor movement with reactionary left-wing hostility to free trade capitalism. And so I think that that's actually a more natural coalition for the far left to be part of. Regardless- Man, you imagine like that? Cause right now that is deeply unimaginable to me, but that that's, I think a recency bias on my part. Like if, cause you're like, I, I see the same trend that you're looking at, right? Yeah. And it clearly is a trend. It clearly has been gaining steam uh, probably since, you know, at least since, uh, since 08, 09. Um, and with the wars and different things like that, there's a lot of things contributing to it. But like trying to imagine Jerry Falwell signing off on, on, you know, this particular thing. And I'm not, and I'm not saying it's impossible cause you know, it's fucking 2020. Like I'm waiting for the meteor they, you know, everything is possible, right? Um, well, 
yeah, can I, can I, so let me clarify. I'm not saying, I'm not saying that as constituted now, the alt-right with its toxic combination of, you know, socially regressive, illiberal social policies and protectionist, isolationist, illiberal trade and foreign policies. I don't think that's going to lead to anything that's good for the working class at all. But then right. I'm also, I guess you might say, ideologically biased because I also believe that capitalism is good for the working class. You see my point? But the people who don't want capitalism, the people who, are, who, 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 who don't have trust and faith in the system and who are going to have to force people like me to compromise with them in order to preserve capitalism, I think that they're more a natural coalition in the, in the near future, especially if Trump is reelected, is actually going to be in the Republican Party. And I think what you're going to see is you're going to see some of the more relatively productive and educated parts of the current um, Republican coalition are going to turn purple and then eventually blue, like mm -hmm. Texas, for example. Yeah. And some, and some parts of the Democratic coalition, well, we already saw it in 2016. You saw um, you know, places like Michigan and Pennsylvania going for Trump, right? So that, 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 that is, that's, it is happening before our eyes. And I'm not, I'm not saying that, so again, if, if my loyalty is to the economic right and not to a party, then I'm going to go wherever the future of the economic right is. And I think that in the short term, the future of the economic right is unsure, right? You do have right-wing Republicans who took cynical advantage of Trump in order to push through some policies that they wanted. Policies mm -hmm. that under a normal administration, I would be more in favor of. But because they combined with massive tax cuts with idiotic trade policy and no cuts to spending, and in fact, in some cases, increases in spending and the driving up the national debt, that is overall, it's really bad. It's good for a handful of people who got a lot of money out of it, right? Here's another thing I would point out, Corey. Um, just because a movement is a working class movement doesn't mean it's going to wind up being in the interest of the working class. So like, you know, um, the National Socialist Workers Party started as a left-wing movement. And then it ended up becoming something like what you could now, I suppose, call right-wing. Um, it certainly wasn't, it certainly didn't stay in the, um, you know, workers owning the means of production category. Because like the original, so like even when, when Hitler was still first using power, the National Socialist Workers Party was still calling explicitly, demanding explicitly for the government to seize capital. They didn't want there to be private corporations anymore. They wanted them to be made public, right? right. So that is a far left thing. That's way far left. That's way far left of anywhere That's you can think about. Kind of the definition, yeah. Yeah, exactly, right? Um, yeah. What ended up happening Although, was- for the record, like, like, I'm totally for seizing failing banks, just in case anyone's wondering. So like, yeah, I mean, this show's all about nuance. I'm happy to talk about nuance with you. And there are- as a, Yeah, it's a totally different topic. Yeah, yeah no, it is. But like, but I'm just saying it. like, so what ended up happening- was less, or I don't know, I think that still would have been bad for workers, even if it had happened, because I think it would be bad for everybody. But what ended up happening wasn't that. It ended up right. being more like, more like business and the state kind of seizing each other in a sort of kleptocratic, oligarchic fashion, like happens, like, like, like is happening under the Communist Party in China today. Like yeah, fascism defined. Yeah, it ended up being that, right? Which is still mm -hmm. a marriage of business and the state. It's just yeah. 
a different kind of marriage, right? Um, it was a civil union. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but so 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 what so what you're seeing yeah. happening right now is when you have a party like the Republican Party, which is now the party of these poor deindustrializing states, and there are elites within those within within those states. There are wealthy people who are doing well and who want to continue to do well and who want to help other people around the country who are doing well, you know, shield their money from taxes and so forth too, that kind of a working class movement is going to lead toward kleptocratic oligarchy. And that's what we're witnessing. So I actually think that in this future, I'm talking about two possible futures, long-term, the one that I think is more, or even medium-term, the one that is more likely is that the Democratic Party will become the new party of capitalism. And we can talk, I, I actually want to wrap up the episode by talking to you in detail about how I see that vision playing out, because it does not mean excluding the, the center left. It does not mean excluding progressives at all. In fact, I don't think it should. Okay. But if you, if you have this, this future where the Republican party now starts to side with other people who are just as hostile and, and, and lack, just have just as little trust in the system, that's actually going to be good. And I'll tell you why. Um, cause right now we have the uneducated working class movement. It would only be a good thing for them to meet up with the educated ones. They can slowly start to figure out the similarities, what they, you know what I mean? Like that they both don't like trade and they both, you know, and, and I, I, I think, I think that the, the, the Noam Chomsky voters would be very good for the Trump voters. If the two of them hung out with each other for a little while, I don't want their side to win but I want them to have a fair debate about the issues with the capitalist party, whichever one it ends up being. And I want us to compromise with them in a way that's going to make everybody happy. Man, I would love for a oil tanker full of consensus juice to just like get poured out on my face. <laughs> okay. So are you feeling bad right now? <laughs> I, no, it's, it's, the, it, I think the the. I should have said that's what she said. Yes, you <laughs> should. You absolutely. Uh, yeah, you fucking <laughs> dropped the ball there, sir. Um, yeah, no, I like like the. It's I'm trying to sort of um, game all that out in a way that that I might translate it, and all I can come across is this: just a fucking shame. It just I can't seem to get past that, right? Like the the, you know the. Like this is why we can't have nice things uh, keeps running through my head because like all you got to do is read it, you know, read through some, some, some policies from, from Yang or quite frankly from Biden. You know, again, we just went through Biden's justice reform thing and it's like 95% of uh, what people are calling for. And this absolutely critically the spirit of everything that uh, people are calling for in the black lives matter movement. Um, because it's the right thing to do, right? So fine, like we want to have a discussion about, you know, economics and half the time you're bringing up economic theory, I'm like, none of it fucking matters anymore because a balanced budget is a thing of the past. Like mm -hmm. nobody should trust that ever again, really in the United States. Yeah. Um, there's no reason to, right? So like, how do you have a, a, a progressive versus, you know, conservative, traditionally minded definitions? Um, how do you have that debate when none of the, you know precepts matter anymore you know like that so that i keep going back to that while you're having that uh uh sort of descriptive discussion yeah and a lot of it is just like <laughs> the conversation i had this morning on my other show 
and how many heads I wanted to smash together. And the right. fact that Trump is still president, right? So like, I, it, it, I completely own that it is very likely a lack of my own uh, remaining mental RPMs in there of Trump. Simply because of the demographic makeup of the country and the way the electoral college works, it's sort of inevitable. And the way the Senate works, right? It's sort of inevitable that that's going to be the medium term outcome. In the yeah. short term, um, if Trump is defeated, then, then some right-wingers will remain in, the, in power in the Republican Party for, for, a, as, for as much longer as they can, right? But the demographic shifts where the future of capitalism is, is on the coasts means that if, if the Never Trump Republicans were able to you know, fully seize it back from the alt-right, then they need to start pivoting they need to start working on winning states like California and New York, right? Where there's a lot of money, a lot of people who pay a lot of taxes and a lot of businesses that would like to have business friendly policies in the federal mm -hmm. government, right? They need to start pivoting to those states and stop relying and stop relying so much on the deindustrializing states. I just like whether 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 the economic right remains in the Republican Party or if it becomes part of the DNC, right? Yeah. Either way. The future of conservatism has to be where the future of capitalism is, and it's it's not in the in the flyover states. Yeah, no, I it it definitely seems like that that must be the case. And those same flyover states are the same ones that are used to getting uh, socialist subsidies for agricultural production, anyway, right? They're so like literally they're, the welfare queens of the country because they it, they take yeah. more in federal aid than they contribute in federal taxes. Yep. Um, so yeah, that that's a thing. I just I I I can't stop imagining. And I, I highly recommend actually listening to, it's, what, it's the one I started with, uh, Yang sat down with uh, Jack Dorsey, um, <laughs> who actually donated $5 million to UBI, was actually for UBI before Andrew Yang, which I didn't know. Um, and, and, you know, they spent, and again, I know we've talked about this a million times, I don't give a shit, we're going to talk about it again. Like the, the uh, if, because of course Jack Dorsey is kind of like the, the, the you know, um, premier information capitalist, you know, among them anyway, right? Um, if the Democratic Party, and because it'll both sides of the the sort of economic divide coalition, mm -hmm. um, obviously uh, people like me on the progressive side. Once I I understood UBI and the power of it, I was for it, and I haven't obviously I'm a dog with a bone. I'm not going to let that thing go because it it, yeah. it solves uh, so many issues, or at least puts us on the track to be able to. When the economic elites. Mm -hmm. uh, figure that out as well especially considering the fact that like deficit spending like you know if you're not yeah. for deficit spending at this point then you're just not being honest um that allows the democratic party to be effectively unbeatable for the foreseeable future like we're effectively you know turning um you know as long as we can win and keep the senate which is of course not a foregone conclusion um except maybe this cycle um then you know that that really can be a place like within the democratic democratic party we're having that uh, uh, that that argument between so basically like the democratic party becomes a place where people like you and I argue uh, while everyone is getting UBI right and and then we can actually start doing reformations like uh, uh, rank choice voting and just like just get to good policy right like let's yeah, just start yeah yeah and, and 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 going I'm back to the nineteen forties. I want to work with people like you, whether it's whether I'm regardless of which party I'm in, right? But I'm going to be right. in the party of capitalism whatever that ends up being right and 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 you know right now we're going what's happening is we're finding out that there is there is a there is a resurgence of left-wing hostility toward free trade capitalism 
and also toward liberal values in general, like democracy and the rule of law and the constitution. And the two are related. Part of the reason they're losing faith in those other liberal values is because they're losing faith in one of, in, in, in capitalism. Um, so while this is happening, it's, the parties are realizing it's no longer politically viable to have two capitalist parties. And I think that if we believe in democracy, we need to let these natural philosophical coalitions, which also happen to align with the demographics of the country more effect, more, more, more clearly than, than what we have in this weird mishmash, mishmash now, um, we need to let that, let, let that side have a party. And if it's going to be the Democrats, it's going to be the Democrats. If it's going to be the Republicans, it's going to be the Republicans. Right now, the, that side actually has more control over the Republicans. And I think Trump's probably going to lose. But if he does, that might change in the short term, right? But in the long term, it's inevitable unless the, unless the Republican leadership seizes that opportunity to pivot the country's, their, to pivot their strategy within the country for the coasts. They should, they should keep the red states where productivity is still happening, where the economies are still doing well. And now don't get yeah. me wrong. I don't, I don't think that we should just abandon the flyover states. I, obviously, I don't. That's why I support UBI. And I think that whatever, whatever movement ends up being the new, the, 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 the new movement of capitalism, the new pro-capitalist movement is going to have to have UBI as part of its strategy, right? Um, yeah. And that's happening in the Democratic Party. The Republican yeah. Party chose to hand the levers of power over to their populist base. The Democratic Party could have done that, and they said no. They elected a moderate, center-right, conservative nominee candidate who's actually to the right of Trump on trade and foreign policy, and a little bit to the left of Trump on something like uh, health care, right? Or, yeah, uh, well, and, and well, I'm not even sure. You he's not as far left as Bernie Sanders, place. but he's left of Trump on health care, right? And I'm yeah. okay with that. You see what I'm saying? He's like, left... Yes, I do believe in consensus. I believe right. that you have to do a give and take. And I, I want this disaffected movement to, to have a voice. I really do. I just think that as long as Trump is their mouthpiece, it's terrible for them and everybody else. So Zero so, argument. <laughs> so progressives and conservatives can and should work together in both parties, which, is, which until fairly recently is what was happening and was actually healthy. The, yep. um, the uh, gridlock that we're seeing in Washington is not because elites aren't, it's not because elites are compromising with each other too much, right? And therefore only doing centrist policies. Like it would be great if they were making in incremental change. They're not even doing that. They're doing right. nothing for the most part, yep. right? Yep. And, 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 and so we, we, we need more consensus building. Um, I think that the, the, the pro-capitalist party, the, the, the more right-wing party, I would love it if they could both be, go back to being capitalists. But I think right now we have a movement in our society where there's, they need to have a party. They need to have a voice. And their voice should not be a cynical comment. Their voice should be somebody who can actually honestly represent them. Um, okay, so I, I, I actually, you look really pensive, so I want to let you talk for a sec. <laughs> no, 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 I'm, uh, um, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. So, so here, here's, here's uh, all that consensus juice to be poured uh, yeah. all over your face. Just get it right on my face. Oh God. Um, <laughs> right. Okay. So I think uh, that regardless of what party it happens in, right, right now, because I'm never Trump, we're in the Democratic Party. So let's talk about the Democratic Party. 
I think what we need to do is we need the to take the best ideas from um, the center right and the center left and thread the needle between them. And, and from a conservative perspective, I'm motivated to do that because I want to preserve things that I care about, like democracy and the rule of law and the constitution, which you also care about, right? And capitalism. Um, and you also care about that. That's what we have in common. And so I think progressives and conservatives need to work together to preserve all those things to demonstrate that capitalism can work for everybody, including those flyover states. They are deindustrializing, but we've talked about, and you know, we have many other episodes about it, but go back and listen to them if you haven't yet. We've talked about how UBI can reinvigorate. We, there's one episode called Ghost Towns. That's a really good one, check that out. A UBI would do more than anything to get money into the hands of actual small businesses, yeah. create jobs and grow the economies in the middle of the country. And once we've done that, once we've achieved the outcome that those policies will make possible, then the parties can recenter and we won't need to have a radical anti-capitalist party anymore. But for the time being, those people need a voice. And if they, as long as they feel like they don't have one, they are going to be susceptible to demagogues like Trump. Oh, I think wait, we... shoot, I just brought you down again. <laughs> no, 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 honestly, like, sorry, that's just my face. <laughs> I sort of have resting- Rest, Resting up. sad puppy face? Yeah, that's kind of that's kind of where I'm at. Uh, <laughs> yeah, um, no, I I I think we end right there because I, okay. I think at the end of the day, you're you're that I think that sums it up pretty accurately, um, and sort of gives us marching orders to uh, uh, um, to move things forward. Yeah, so we need to make we need to make capitalism work for everybody, um, in order to save capitalism. That's and, thank and, you for and, adding that because that's yeah. really that's that those are the stakes, right? I mean, yeah, if if is. we want to save this system that uh, you know creates space for things like you know Atari and iPhones and fucking SpaceX, um, then we have to make sure that people aren't starving in the streets, right? And that not only that, like we create that floor, but we create it in such a way that people are are you know invigorated and educating themselves as much as they want to be educated and get their you know healthcare needs taken care of and basically like just you know, almost no one is falling through the cracks. That will let us really ramp up the innovative power of capitalism to fucking get off this planet and do other cool shit. Yeah, so I, I, I would propose that we need to be the party of both economic liberty and social liberty. Yeah, um, I mean, yeah, yeah. exactly. And which which, which a, UBI, yeah. UBI is the perfect way of, of preserving the kinds of economic liberty that the traditional right cares about while also creating at the same time an even more robust social safety net that the left, or at least that the center left, right, cares about. Um, progressives yeah. and conservatives need to be in a coalition together. And for now, it looks like it's gonna have to be the, the, the DNC coalition because the Republican coalition is busy being the new confederacy of bigots and theocrats. And I mean, when you're right, you are right. Um, so I think it's your turn. <laughs> Moving forward is our gumbo. Thank you very much for listening to the Moving Forward podcast. Rio and I are so excited that the Humanity First movement is moving forward. Something you can do to help is go to movingforwardpod.com where you can find us on social media, read our blog, and support us on uh, the Patreon. Right, Rio? Right.
Actually, I think we should get that sing that sole Republican running in the UBI caucus, Dan or something like that. What's his name? Okay. Okay. Um, I'll look into that. I mean, if he's running as a Republican, if he's pro-Trump, I'm a hard no. I feel like he has to be in order to run as a Republican. Then I'm I see a your point. hard, hard no. <laughs> I understand that. Okay. I don't know if he is, but I feel like he has to be. I mean, yeah, I mean like, right, like you would think so. Like you might as well. Like, honestly, I think you'd have a better chance getting elected running against Jesus Christ right now in the Republican Party. Which is really fucked up. <laughs> I mean, it's all fucked up, right? But it, like, it's like, yeah. And uh, of the two of them, one of them is a worse person. <laughs> <laughs> can you hear that barking i can that yeah I can okay hear. i thought you might but it was adorable 